Spirit Alive every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock with Father Willie Purcell and Heidi Good. An oasis of Christian reflection, music, prayer and interviews. Sponsored by Shazby's Funeral Home, opposite St. Kieran Cemetery, Kilkenny City. Another Kilkenny today on what is a cold, wet and windy day. It certainly is out here in Raidstown anyway. It's probably not very different uh, wherever you are. Unless, of course, you're listening in from somewhere exotic on the internet. And if you are in a lovely, warm, sunny location, I'm extremely jealous. But uh, nothing I can do about that, is there? All we can do is uh, take a quick look at the weather anyway towards the middle of today's show, which we would do anyway on a normally, on a Friday. Um, later on in today's show... We'll also be hearing from uh, Pat Tracy, who had a conversation earlier on today with Rachel O'Shea, who's the head of employee employee experience with the Clune Technology Group. And, of course, one of the Clune Technology Group uh, companies, taxback.com, are really kind sponsors of our text line here on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 086-353-7782, of course. And uh, they've just been, the Clune Technology Group has just got recognition as being one of Ireland's best workplaces for 2021. So we'll be hearing Pat Tracy talking to Rachel O'Shea and uh, probing that and what you have to do to be recognised as one of Ireland's best workplaces. But a great um, recognition of them and obviously a good culture of, of, um, of uh, employee engagement out in that particular group of companies um, out there. For it. So congratulations to them on that. We'll hear more later on the show, as I said, more from the weather as well. Said we'll also be following up on the conversation we had on Tuesday's show with uh, Sergeant Peter McConnell about uh, fraud. But in this t- this this time we'll be talking more f- about potential frauds against businesses, and we'll be joined by the Banking and Payment Federation of Ireland's head of fraud prevention, Neve Davenport. So that'll be towards uh, the middle of the show. As I mentioned, the weather, no parish news for you, of course, today, but uh, it will come back sooner or later at some, at some point in time. Thanks a million to Liam Langrell, of course, for the last couple of hours on Sands Classical. Um, that uh, song he played, or March that he played a couple of, about 10 to quarter to five, Erica, uh, reminds me very much of my late father who loved that. Um, and which whoever remembers that and uh, hearing that played on the old gramophone at home a long time ago back in Dublin but anyway brought back a lot of memories to that so anyway thanks to Liam and uh, as he said he'll be back on the air with us on Sunday uh, Mother's Day and back again next Friday with another Sands Classical so there you go anyway do stay with us here but uh, I'm delighted to be joined uh, first off on today's show by Mags Whiteley from Barn Owl Players and good afternoon Mags and thanks for waiting good, a- for you. good afternoon Morris how are you? I'm great, thanks. Lovely to have you back. It was the middle of December, Mags, when we were talking to you last, and it was about uh, a call-out you had at the time for writers and actors and directors for a series of short plays that were going to be collectively called Love in Lockdown. So you're well on the way. They've happened. They're half of them anyway. It's certainly five of them, I think, are, are produced and ready to be unveiled to the public. That's correct. Yeah, that's right, Morris. Um, we, we had the call-out, and as I say, we had got ten... 10 plays out of the call-out, and we have currently five produced. So there are five um, five plays that will be launched on the 
on Thursday the 18th of March on Facebook. We're having a premiere of that, of that uh, on, on Facebook that night and with an introduction by Malcolm Noonan, Minister Malcolm Noonan. So we're really looking forward to that and we've had, had some fantastic talent come to us, both actors and writers and directors for this production. Great. So um, you, you obviously got a great um, response anyway. Did you have to do a lot of um, kind of whittling down or, you know, if we start, I presume it was the, the writers contacted you first and that was the first task to, to pick yeah. days. Um, we, we put a call out for the, to the writers and there were 20 scripts submitted and from the 20, uh, we had a panel of people looking at the scripts and from that 20, it was whittled down to 10 and then we decided to launch them in two lots of five. So our Love, Love, Love and Lockdown 1 will launch on Thursday the 18th and we will follow up with Love and Lockdown 2 later on at the end of April. So, so for any, next week we have five ready and produced and filmed and ready to go. And is there, is there apart from this, the, the overall love in lockdown thing, was there any any particular kind of um, style or, or themes or anything like that that you, that you were trying to group together the, the first five short plays under? I don't think we actually, because we, the, the remit was kind of, okay, love in lockdown, but love in all its aspects. And it was, they're all types of love. So there wasn't any, you know, in tying them together, we... I suppose we just chose um, what we felt would fit well together in the first five. So th there is a variety of themes of love, and a variety of and I suppose a, a, across the spectrum of um, ages as well. So that, that's basically what we tried to do. And uh, the, the five writers are five local writers from Kilkenny in this instance. Mm. And yeah, so we were. And one of them is actually an alumni of Barnstorm Theatre's um, Youth Theatre. Anna Doyle is one of them. She had to be adored. Uh, the other one is Nilo Reardon wrote Flash White, which is a very interesting piece. I don't want to give away too much. <laughs> this is my problem. Well, well, we can um, tell us about the, the writers and the names and the actors and the directors anyway, and we can we can leave people um, waiting to to see like exactly what what they consist of. Okay, so uh, to begin with, Legacy by Rosie Hayes. Rosie is uh, has has acted with us in Barnalls and with the Barnstorm Theatre um, curriculum live plays. And she has taken to writing recently. She started, she gave us her first piece in the monologues last May. And now she's written the, this short play for this one called Legacy. It's a beautiful piece and I'm actually acting in that one. She, and Rosie's a local girl from Kilkenny. Then the second one would be Self-Improvement by Esna Riley. Esna's originally from Dublin, but living in Kilkenny. And she wrote for the last one as well and has written for this one too. And then we have Denise Dowling, also a Kilkenny native. And she wrote a piece called Undying which is very interesting. It's about undying love, which would be mm. like um, very well done and very interesting as well. Nilo Reardon is a Kennel Kenny man. He's a teacher in CBS, and he wrote a piece called Flat White, which is also a very interesting piece. It's about um, a, a gay couple. And then we have to be adored by Anna Doyle, who is the alumni of Barnstone Theatre's Youth Theatre. And yeah, so I suppose most of those titles do kind of suggest, apart from flat white, I suppose, do suggest aspects of love um, right enough. So the plenty um, lovely covers plenty of angles and, and plenty of insights into the whole um, the subject of love in all its aspects. Um, as you said, so having having identified those plays, even though those first set for Love in Lockdown one, those five, um, I suppose the next task then was um, actors and, and directors. Did the plays then obviously suggest? You know, uh, like if, it was, if it's a gay couple, well, it's obviously two men or two women in, in the case of Flat White, but in the others, like, was it young, old actors, or how did, how did all that pan out? 
Um, in, in the legacy one, it's actually two older actors, and then mainly in the others, they are between sort of twenties to sort of forties, that age group. And in the second lot, but yeah, it's kind of the same as well. It's kind of twenties, thirties, into sort of the forties age group that we have. So it's it's given a call out to like a lot of actors in the in the locality in various age groups, which is fantastic, and we've had a great. Um, get great feedback on that as well and great pe- people coming to us and new people which is we're delighted with yeah i was wondering about that because you know g- given the times that we're in at the moment um there's probably a million and one um actors and people involved in theater of all sorts kind of out of work at the moment and uh, possibly gagging to have an opportunity to do any bit of acting particularly like at, at the moment so did, did you get people coming to you that you hadn't hadn't worked with in in, in uh, barnstorm yes. or barnard players before yeah, we did. We absolutely did, and we were delighted with that. And because we were doing it over Zoom, you don't get to physically, you know, meet the people. So it was interesting that the rehearsals were all done on Zoom, and then when we got through to the filming stage, you, you finally physically get to see your opposite in the piece, which uh, you know, which was great. It was great to actually be in a in a rehearsal space and and to be there live after doing it through Zoom. Because Zoom, while it's fantastic and it's, it's allowed us to do this, it's. Um, like say for the actual theatre part of it, it's kind of to bring the physicality and the, and the actions in. It's it's much better, obviously, to be live and in a space. So yeah, it was very, it was fantastic. It was a really challenging and interesting project to be involved in. To be quite honest. Yeah, I think I saw on on your Facebook page um, one of the uh, still anyway from Flat White, and it looked as if it was maybe filmed upstairs in the Home Rule Club. It kind of looked like that space. Is so that's is, is that's it, it, was yeah. that where you went? Sorry, say again. Uh, I think, as I said, I was looking at the uh, still from Flat White and it looked like as if it might have been filmed um, somewhere like upstairs in the Home Rule Club. Yes, that's where we did all of the filming. So the five pieces were were pretty much filmed in that space. So we just um, changed the space and rearranged it to, to each piece. So they were all filmed in that space with COVID regulations obviously being used all all the time. Yeah, it's not the easiest, I'd say, from time to time. It could very much dictates how the how the dynamic of the play and the, the acting is going to work really doesn't it it does very much so it's, it's very difficult but sure look we have to sort of how would you say be creative and work around these things you know mm-hmm. and i believe you also you, you mix you you mix and match a bit in that some of the writers also directed and uh, and and acted in not their own plays but other other people's plays and that must have been a bit of fun as well and added a lot of kind of spice and interest to the whole process it does, absolutely. As it gives the writer, like the ones that sort of chose to direct other pieces, it gives them um, a different aspect of, of bringing a work to fruition. Like, And I suppose as a writer, you hand over your piece and to a director and you hope that they will get, do it justice. So it's a good experience for a writer to then, to then direct another person's piece to see how you bring it to to, to you know fruition and, and produce it and make, you know get the best out of the piece as written. Oh, yeah, it will be. It was, that's the thing about the whole project. It gives all of us an opportunity to explore the very different aspects of the production. Like in, the, in Love and Lockdown 2, I'm going to take on a director role. And in this one, I had an acting role. Unfortunately, I don't have the talent to write, but <laughs> maybe sometime tried? in the future. Have you tried, Mags? Or do a bit of writing? I did, I did, I did try. But it's, uh, I mean, or like I haven't written anything since I left school. And that has been, that's quite some time ago. So <laughs> I, I need a little bit more practice at it, I think. Well, you're saving it up. You know, they do say that everybody has at least one book in them, don't they? So, like, one short play mightn't be too much of a stretch either. 
well, this is it. I suppose I could give it a shot again, but maybe I might do sometime, but not for now anyway. There'll be time. Well, I suppose that mixing and matching between uh, kind of moving between writing, directing and acting probably would cure anybody of any preciousness they might have, particularly if they're a writer. Um, oh, absolutely. You, it wouldn't last long. Yeah. Yeah. It, it because, I mean, you're putting your writing out there and then you have a director's take on how they see the, the story being put, you know, come to life. And you have to, as a writer, you have to be able to let it go and trust them to, to, to do justice to your piece. And you know, then you, and then as a director, I suppose you have to kind of take into account the writer's um, opinion of their piece, or, or you know, their their belonging to the piece. So yeah, it, it's yeah. It, I think from that point of view, it was a great experience for everybody. Yeah. I think I think everybody would have enjoyed that experience. Yeah, and these are all short pieces, aren't they, Mag? So like, it's, it must be quite a challenge, um, even harder than writing your traditional or typical uh, classical three-act play or whatever where you've got an hour and a half really to develop the plot and the characterizations and the message you're trying to put across and everything these are these are really short and and concise pieces oh they are absolutely and like that is a challenge to get the whole story into such a short piece and we were very fortunate in that we had made inglesby and cairo doherty and philip hardy were the panel of people but they were also you know, they were helping the writers with their submissions and giving them um, giving them instruction, not instruction, but what's the word I'm trying to think of, um, you know, to helping them out with how to yeah. better bring their piece together, maybe, you know, cut here or add here or whatever, you know, they just, they were given advice as uh, over the course of the, the whole project before their final submissions, they were given advice from the panel as well as to what they could do better or how to do it better or whatever and Maeve Inglesby is a well-known playwright in her own right she's written for Glenroe and for Fair City and she's written plays for Children's Theatre and for Barnstorm you know there are um, professional productions as well yeah. and Cara writes for Cara Doherty writes for the Sunday Times and she's a, a film critic for the Echo so and Philip is artistic director of Barnstorm Theatre so you know they had a good um, panel of people with lots of experience to help them to bring their pieces to, to polish them. Giovanni's not Laura, you know. Indeed. Well, again, having that uh, level of mentoring and cri on uh, live critique while while the, the 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 pieces were being developed would certainly cure you of anybody of any preciousness they might have uh, around uh, what they were doing themselves. It's probably probably a good thing. Anyway, but so it's, good, uh, it's where, a good thing. Where, where, can, where can people get to see or, or hear them, Mags? All the pieces. Okay, so our launch night is on Thursday the 18th, and we're going to launch them on Facebook on via Zoom, and but the, we there will be we will be putting a we will be putting a link up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whereby you can you know come come into the Zoom on the night for the premiere, and then after that they will be available on YouTube to view at any time. So okay. they, they um, and as well as that, we're as part of a sort of not a fundraising but if you want to support us we have a buymeacoffee.com forward slash barnout players where you can support us by buying a coffee on the night or when you're viewing oh that's good I'm glad to see you're going to trying to get, get some benefit for, for your, um, yourselves and for Barnstorm from it I think it's, uh, it's right and proper that you would after putting all that effort in and um, providing the public with uh, with something lovely some experience of theatre even if it has to be via YouTube or Zoom or whatever um, yes how would these just as curiosity and um, we're obviously chatting on the, on the radio mags how might these work would, would any or all of them work as radio plays if we were to would we be able to broadcast some of them on community radio Kilkenny City 
Well, we haven't really finally decided on that yet. We're, what we've done is we have done a recording of them, and we once the whole project is finished, we're going to have a listen and see will they work on radio or not. So we might have to hold, put that in the back burner for now until the, the whole production is complete, and then see how do they sound. Because you, you know the way sometimes for radio plays that it, it might not work, or you might have to. Um, work them differently in order for them to actually work on, on radio. So, yeah, we we haven't kind of looked into that end of it. We're trying to get this stage of it complete. And once we've that done, then we will probably look to, we'll, we'll probably be more later on in the year if we were going to do that. Because also we were hoping, if, if possible, and if COVID eventually goes away that we might be able to do them live as well so we've you know oh, yeah. there's a lot of a lot to the project yet that we might be able to expand on but for exactly, now this yeah. is what we're working with and you do have another five coming up and you will have a love and lockdown series too yes we will and that's coming up at the end of april so we're going we're now going into um rehearsals for that we we're at the moment kind of getting the, our actors and then We'd be going into rehearsal and hopefully be producing them on the week of the 19th of April with hopefully a live date for the 29th around the end of April, April oh, sometime we're hoping well, anyway. We'll, um, we'll have you back again to, to give us a kind of a heads up preview of uh, Love in Lockdown too anyway. But in the meantime, Mike, uh, congratulations to yourself and all your friends and colleagues and Barnall players and Barnstorm for putting Love in Lockdown 1 together. And uh, we look forward to seeing it through Facebook, Zoom, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, um, next Thursday evening starting 7.30 isn't it? And starting Basically. at 7.30, yeah. Lovely, lovely talking to you, Mags. Thanks a million for uh, joining us. Thank you, Marvis. Thanks very much. You're very welcome. Take care. And that was Mags Whiteley from uh, Barn Owl Players and Barnstorm Theatre Company just talking about Love in Lockdown 1, their series of uh, five short plays that have been produced uh, over the last couple of months and, uh, as Mags was saying, would be available to be uh, launched on March the 18th, that's uh, next Thursday, from 7.30pm. And you can find Barnstorm Theatre Company on Facebook and I'm sure just as easily on uh, Instagram and Twitter and, uh, as she says, on YouTube. So looking forward to seeing them. Anyway, we'll move on at the moment to, uh, on today's show, 5.23 uh, it is, there or thereabouts, about time we took our first ad break. So do stay with us here on the show and we'll be back with, with uh, the weather forecast in just a couple of minutes' time after these. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we had uh, one of our guests on last Tuesday's show, was Sergeant Peter McConnell from Angarda Shikana here in Kilkenny, and we were talking about uh, fraud and scams and cons being perpetrated on uh, private individuals by uh, whoever from wherever around uh, the world. Um, we're continuing on that theme a little bit because uh, Fraud Smart is a fraud awareness initiative that's been developed by the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland in conjunction with its member banks, um, AIB, Bank of Ireland, KBC, Permanent TSB, Ulster Bank, Unpost Money and Barclays. And it's a programme that aims to raise consumer and business awareness of the latest financial fraud activity and trends and provide simple and impartial advice on how best those businesses can protect themselves and their resources. And joining us uh, to elaborate a little bit more on that is Neve Davenport, who's Head of Fraud Prevention with the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland. So good afternoon, Neve. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. You're very, very welcome. Neef, my, my first thought when I was getting ready to, to talk to you was to, to think, well, actually, business fraud, in the same way as kind of personal fraud against people, individuals, it's probably as old as the hills. Um, so so why, why now? What was the kind of the impetus now for actually setting up Fraud Smart as a campaign? 
Yeah, so the reason we're doing the campaign this week um, around, uh, as you said, mainly business, on the business side of things, is because it's really been with the pandemic um, and everything and all things related to COVID, there has been an increase in fraud. So both personal fraud, um, like you were talking about earlier in the week, and also fraud on businesses. And I think the one thing that people don't think about the business fraud is because everybody's now working from home and the pandemic obviously forces us to work from home and put in new kind of processes in place that maybe we didn't have before. You know, we don't have the same controls and everything is digital um, in a lot quicker fashion than we maybe would have been uh, implementing it originally. So I think for that reason, the fraudsters are kind of taking advantage of the situation and trying to really gain um, get get, a lot of money out of uh, some Irish SMEs at the moment. Mm. Is, is this a very costly to Irish business or is there, is there any kind of measure of how costly business fraud might be in any given year? We don't have exact figures. However, the Gardaí, um, which we work with closely as well, reported that about 10.5 million was lost for Irish businesses in um, invoice fraud, in particular in 2020, or business email compromise fraud, as we call it as well. So really... Um, huge sums of money can be lost it can be small um for, you know any amounts from a couple of thousand euro up to we've seen very large cases over the years of you know 250,000 500,000 euro and um, the problem is you know that's that once the, once the company has transferred the money the money is very hard to, to get back so it's really important that businesses are aware of this because no matter how big or small the amount is to your business it could be devastating a small amount can be very devastating to a small business especially in these hard times as well yeah because um you mentioned their invoice frauds there is i presume that's just one kind of type of a fraud that can be attempted to be perpetrated on a business um not that we want to encourage people to try this out now but can you explain to us like what is invoice fraud and, and what what typically happens yeah so typically what we see is it's mainly carried out via email that's the first thing and it takes place when a business receives an email from one of their suppliers or somebody that they do business with normally um and but it's a fake email and in that email you'll often get a request saying that we've changed our bank account details so for further payments uh you know please use these bank account details so it's not necessarily a request for money, which is, you know, something that people think automatically they'd be more alert when it's actually requesting money, but it's not. It's just nearly like an FYI email. Here's our new bank account details. So the problem is the business will update it on maybe on their online banking system or wherever they keep their, their payment details. The next invoice comes in, legitimate invoice that you have actually received the goods for, but you pay the money to the fraudster's account rather than the business's account, your supplier's account. And that's really how... the kind of a simple one would work um, in terms of the fraudster just gets that money and it's gone straight away because you've normally transferred, a lot of people obviously transfer online via payment transfers. So once you've hit that button, the money has gone out of the account. Yeah, and you did mention yeah, trying to get um, money back and the recovery of lost funds and people, I suppose, individuals will, will understand, any of us who have credit cards will understand that maybe or have a sense that if, if you're using your credit card for something and there's a bit of fraudulent transaction going on in it, it's, there is a, a way, because of the way the credit cards work, of, of getting the, the money back sometimes, yeah. maybe not always. But how, how does it work for businesses? Is it possible for businesses typically to recover lost money? It is possible. It's just a little bit harder. So the, the one thing about any of these kind of frauds um, is that timing is of the essence. So the quicker you act in making that recall to your bank, so the first thing, as soon as you notice that something has gone wrong, you need to contact your bank and they can recall the payment. However, they can only get that money back if the money is still in the account that you sent it to. So the quicker you obviously act 
the better because the fraudster is waiting on the other end for that payment to come through. Um, as you said, credit cards like Visa card, Mastercard, that's all part of the Visa or Mastercard insurance scheme that you can get the money back with. So anything where you transfer, and that's the same on a personal level. If you've transferred money to, you know, sometimes you see people on PayPal or anything like that. In a personal situation, uh, transfer money. You know, it's a lot harder to get that. Sorry, not through PayPal, but if they transfer just online themselves to another account, it's a lot harder to get that money back. Obviously, businesses don't necessarily use debit or credit cards for large transactions. Um, we've had a few examples this this week. Um, you know, there's one that was actually an Irish farm, and they were like, buying machinery. So for that kind of level of money, you're not using your credit card. You're going to transfer funds. Mm, yeah, again, uh, like I do, I do know again from just involvement in it, particularly in in charities and trying to and you know about payments and uh, controls mm-hmm. and proper governance and stuff that there would sometimes wouldn't there be kind of multi layers of, of approval and authorization for a payment. So is that in that in that sense where somebody kind of raises a payment and somebody else then has to authorize it within a business? Does that help minimize or reduce the risk of of a fraud taking place because you've got these two eyes looking at the transaction? It does. So the the thing is, um, this actually very simple things that you can do to prevent this type of fraud or other types of business fraud as well. You know, like you said, having two sets of eyes on the payment. The first thing is, if you ever get a payment request or sorry, change of bank details like these emails, is to check, pick up the phone and speak to your supplier and say, have you changed your bank account? It should be a red flag. You know, businesses don't change bank accounts that often. So if a business does do it, you know, they'll be happy that you picked up the phone and actually spoke to somebody. Um, like you said, having two sets of eyes on pay all payments, make sure there's approval process, which is a, a little bit harder again. That's where the fraudsters are kind of taking advantage of the situation. You know, it's a lot easier to do when there's two people maybe sitting near one another in the office that they can check out payments. Now that people are working at home, it's a little bit more difficult. So, you know, just because we're at home now, try just to still have those processes that you would have had in place in the office in place in a different way at home. You know, yeah, um, yeah. You, yeah, that's the other thing as well is to use existing contact information you have. So when you go to phone your supplier, for example, to say, have you changed bank account? Is this email legitimate? You know, use the contact details that you have on file or from the previous invoice. Do not use the contact details in the email because they could be fake um, details as well. So there's little things like that. We have a leaflet. It's on our FraudSmart website, which is fraudsmart.ie. And there's just a few tips for employers and there's a few tips for employees as well. Very simple things, not costly. There's nothing to do with costs and implementing them that you can implement, do yourselves, and that will help prevent the fraud. Yeah, and just speaking of employees there, because you know it's it's obviously in, well, most as well as a lot of the times or sometimes anyway, it's going to be an employee of a company that's um, inadvertently going to be fall victim mm-hmm. to the, the fraud, I suppose, and be conned by it. Um, there, there's no negative implications for uh, for an employee who makes or is there that you know for make making a genuine mistake like that and just being taken in by something fraudulent. No, there shouldn't be anything. I mean, the, like the best thing the employee can do is to act quickly. You know, don't be feeling that you did something wrong and that you need to try hide it, it, it come out say say what's after happening fraudsters are professionals that's the key thing to remember here these people are professional they're manipulators this is their full-time job so no matter what fraud anybody falls victim to you know they shouldn't feel bad about it it's just one of those things unfortunately they're very good <laughs> at their job and it's very profitable for them so it's no, to hold up the hand can... and act quickly is the main thing 
Yeah, we've, we've been talking about this uh, as we got into the details of how invoice fraud works and you mentioned it coming in via uh, emails and looking mm -hmm. for bank details and all of that. But um, we do hear stories from time to time, Dave, um, in the media as well about what probably be called insider fraud where it's the employee or somebody involved in the company who's the perpetrator um, is, are you seeing a lot of that or is there anything in that in that space that you'd also be warning about we haven't seen much of it um ourselves it is out there there i mean there's definitely cases of it it's not um something that's prominent in Ireland or it's not something that we've seen um a lot of thankfully but it can happen so again this is where the same kind of advice would apply in terms of having your processes and procedures set up. Having that two sets of eyes on an invoice or on a payment process all helps with that. It was it would prevent that. Yeah, yeah. So just and and uh, the the other thing of just don't not immediately reacting to something that comes in and purporting to look for some details or some business uh, details. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Again, yeah. the same as all frauds, um, whether it's yeah. personal or business, fraudster always wants you to act without thinking. That is their key thing. There's always something urgent or you know they're trying to get you to do something without thinking and we're so busy these days that we often do that's the problem yeah how long is the campaign going to be running for fraud smart and uh, fraud smart actually been around for a couple of years so um but we're, co we're constantly running new campaigns every month um we've got plans for the rest of this year already set up um you can find all the information on fraudsmart.ie and i would recommend as well we do have an email alert system that you can sign up to on the website for both businesses and for personal level as well. So anything that we're seeing, you know, maybe that the banks are seeing coming through and um, that people are falling victim to, we send out alerts to people to make them aware. And you can follow us on social media as well. Yeah, because there's probably some kind of general patterns associated with these kind of things as to how the uh, the fraudsters try to go about uh, things. So if you can spot that, uh, maybe you can spot the likely, like we're always warned about, the same way about just generally spam emails or things coming in from people we don't know about, don't know, and uh, being warned not to click through on anything. There's, there's probably exactly. patterns like that to be aware of. There's definitely trends. You know, um, earlier this year, the, the fraudsters will use the same kind of um, scams, whether it's a text message scam or an email scam, they just pick different things that are relevant at the moment. So, with Brexit and the customs issues that were happening, just you know, the change of Brexit on the 31st of December that time, they were doing you know uh, text message scams with parcel delivery, saying you owe customs and there was links. So again, the advice there is don't click on links. The same way it would be in an email, don't click on links. They just use very current topics and um, mm. to kind of gain trust with people and kind of make the most of it. Yeah, I noticed in the media actually uh, they have a well-known uh, broadcasting character Bazar Shmawi fronting um, what's it look like some anti-fraud advertising from uh, Bank yes, of Ireland. Bank is, of Ireland. That, is that part of this fraud smart campaign? Are each uh, of the banks doing their own thing or is it kind of coordinated? The banks are doing their own thing as well um, and they're supporting the fraud smart campaign so it's great. Previously um, we were very much kind of, we were doing it by ourselves but it's great to see the banks coming out and doing it as well. Um, it's a very relevant ads and we'll be doing ads as well uh, the rest of the year with Bank of Ireland um, and it's, if people really pay attention to the detail in that ad I think it's very clever and realising that even I don't know if people are aware of the ad at the end he gets a text message from his mum and he said it has to be a fake text message but that's really what fraudsters can do you know the text message will actually come into a text stream that you have with that person and they can fake the number so you do think it's from in this case, obviously, we're saying it's from your bank or in his case, from his mum. But, you know, that's, they're so clever and they're so sophisticated these days, they can actually do that. So you'll see the previous line of conversations you've had, you know, pick up the milk or whatever he may have had with his mother. But um, mm. 
it's it's just the little things that you know where it's really important to watch that ad actually quite closely yeah but it, it is making a very serious point anyway and yeah, it is yeah treated too lightly but it's good to have, have a sense a little bit of a sense of humor maybe just to get the message across but um it's just not at all a <laughs> if you find yourself the victim of a fraud um, like that and you could be particularly i suppose for small businesses you could be seriously out of pocket uh, even for a while while you might be waiting to to get the your money back if you can get it back exactly yeah Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million for joining us, Neve. Lovely to talk to you and uh, very best wishes with uh, yourselves and your colleagues in the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland with, uh, with the campaign. And uh, I suppose thanks on behalf of uh, small businesses around uh, the country for putting a campaign like that uh, together and raising the awareness. Uh, fair dues to you all. Thanks a million. No problem. Thanks a million for having us. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. Uh, and that was Neve Davenport, who is the Head of Fraud Prevention in the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland. And as she mentioned, there's a website if you're a small business owner. You'd like to find out more. Anyway, you know people who are in business, fraudsmart.ie, or indeed their, their own um, web, main website uh, for the Banking and Payments Federation, BF, B, sorry, bpfi.ie. I.e. Now, uh, 42 minutes past 5 o'clock, 18 minutes to 6 o'clock, if my sums are correct. It's about time we took a second ad break and uh, we'll be back with a conversation that Pat Tracy, your own Pat Tracy, had with Rachel O'Shea, who's the head of employee experience with the Clune Technology Group in recognition of their being uh, awarded uh, recognition for being one of Ireland's best workplaces for 2021. So do stay with us here on Community Radio Kilkenny. Says we'll be back in a couple of minutes' time just after these. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Welcome back. Just about, uh, about 13 minutes to 6 o'clock. So let's uh, move on very really quickly with the, the show and have a listen to the conversation between Pat Tracy earlier on today and Rachel O'Shea, who's the head of employee, employee experience with the Clune Technology Group when Clune Technology were recognised as one of Ireland's best workplaces for 2021. Rachel O'Shea, your head of employee experience as uh, what we know as taxback.com. It exactly, yeah. We're actually attached back roots, so um, soon to be Clune Technology Group um, in the very, very near future. So, very exciting times to say the least. Okay, and uh, you're after winning, uh, I suppose, or after being recognised as one of the best places in Ireland to work. Yes, exactly. So, look, this is our sixth year being recognised. So, um, while while we're all too familiar with the process and kind of everything that comes with being recognised, you know, it certainly doesn't get easier <laughs> as the years go on. You know, if anything, the competition gets much harder. I think staff in general are kind of looking for so much more from an employer now. And, um, you know, we find that when we're recruiting employees, you know, it's no longer just about a salary and, you know, where how far the commute is. You know, it's about so much more than that now. So what makes uh, Taxback uh, such a great place to work in? Oh, everything. I, I, look, I suppose the people, and I know it's such a cliche answer, but, you know, we couldn't do what we do without the people that work for us. Um, I suppose we're incredibly lucky. We have offices in Kilkenny and Dublin, so we've got staff all across Ireland, all over the world as well. We have offices in Bulgaria, across the US, Australia, Peru. <laughs> you know, I suppose you name it, we, we probably have some uh, some sort of an office there. But um, look, I suppose from our point of view, a huge part of what we do is kind of listen to our staff. Um, you know, we're constantly looking at what can we do better. And from our point of view, we can only know that by actually asking our staff and then telling us. So I suppose with the Great Place to Work accreditation, that's 
you know, a huge part of that is feedback. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the process or if any of your listeners listeners are familiar. But, you know, two-thirds of our marks actually come from an anonymous employee survey. Um, it's very in-depth, you know, it gives the employees the chance to really, really have their say. And um, it is entirely anonymous, so there's, there's no holding back, shall we say. Um, you know, and then the other one third of the marks come from a thing called a culture audit, which I suppose is exactly what it says on the tin. You know, it's a complete review and audit of our culture, everything from our policies to our processes, you know, benefits, literally every single, I suppose, minuscule detail that um, an employee would experience working for us. So um, there's, there's certainly many reasons, you know, but um, our people are definitely the, definitely the main one. Okay, so... Rachel O'Shea, Head of Employee Experience. Uh, you're heading into work. What's, uh, what have you to come up with to make uh, work, working in taxback.com uh, so much better? Well, I suppose, look, at the moment, and, and I'm not going to go on a rant about COVID because I think we're all fed up listening to it at this stage, but, you know, look, the last year for us has completely changed the way we do things. We were a company that never operated remotely. You know, our staff were all office-based. So, if you asked me that question last year, I'd get to chat about events and, you know, summer parties, Christmas parties. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've had speakers like Brezzy on site. Um, but this year has been completely different. And I think for us, you know, it's really put a focus on the fact that all of our employees are human. So from my point of view, you know, rather than doing these big massive events, we've had to kind of scale back in a virtual sense. And I suppose offer something for everyone. So, you know, we've got parents, we've got single people, we've got college students working for us. And I think a huge part of what we've had to do in the last year is try to support everyone in what has been the craziest year. You know, you can't not mention it. Um, you know, so some of the things that I do is um, take parents, for example. You know, we have an internal communications platform called WorkSevo. And we've actually set up a dedicated space or a group for the parents of Taxback Group. And then within that, we kind of share, you know, maybe colouring competitions for the kids. And, you know, particularly at the moment in Ireland, you know, most kids are still being homeschooled. And, you know, so we've tried to kind of provide resources for the parents to keep the kids entertained and, you know, maybe give them a bit of spare time. But I suppose in general, you know, a huge focus this year has been on mental health and mental well-being particularly. So, you know, again, we've tried to be there for our staff, but also try to provide, you know, the resources for people that have never gone through this and no one ever has. So, you know, the list is really, really endless. But um, I think that sense of belonging is such a huge thing. So regardless of what I do, be it a photography competition, which we've done in the past, a virtual bake-off, you know, everything comes back to that sense of belonging and, mm. you know, just reminding employees that they're really, really part of something amazing. So, really, you're, you're trying to turn it into a, a community to a large degree, your work? Exactly. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, look, one of the areas in the Great Place to Work accreditation is camaraderie. And thankfully, it's an area that we've always scored particularly well in. You know, for those that mightn't be familiar with Taxback Group, we've about eight different companies in the group. And um, so one of those is taxback.com. We've got Transformate and Medus. And, you know, what that means is we've got, a, we've got multiple different companies with, you know, different objectives, different cultures. And I suppose a huge part of my job is bringing all of those companies and all of those people together. And, you know, we go by the motto of one team. And, you know, that's very transparent in our culture and in everything we do. 
So there's 1,500 people in 23 countries worldwide. Yes. And, <laughs> and have you touched base with those and, uh, and, uh, and work with them? Yeah, definitely. So, look, that's one thing, I suppose, with COVID as well. And I've, I've kind of mentioned this in the past. You know, some of our offices, understandably, have less staff. You know, with some locations that maybe have five people in places like Denmark, for example. And one of the things I found with COVID is that because all of our staff are working remotely, it kind of levels the playing field for everyone. You know, you don't have people in one country going, oh, Jesus, that, you know, party in Kilkenny looked great on Saturday night. And obviously, we'd all love a night out, but... You know, from kind of, you know, from an employer's perspective, it has leveled the playing field. Um, but yeah, like a lot of what we do, look, um, obviously Ireland, Bulgaria and the US would be our, our highest populated countries. But, you know, I suppose from my point of view, I'm faced with challenges when it comes to time differences, uh, languages. You know, English is our operating language, but it's not everyone's first language. So, you know, we have to kind of bear those things in mind when, you know, whenever we're organising anything, to be honest. Uh, Rachel, you sound as if you love your job. I do. <laughs> yeah. That look, it, it's the best part. And I, I actually had a post up on LinkedIn the other day for International Women's Day. And, you know, I said, they say if you, if you um, love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. And I suppose I think back to school and all my parent-teacher meetings. Teachers always said, oh, she's so chatty. You know, she chats to anyone. And I never kind of thought you'd get a job as a people person that solely revolves around people. You know what I mean? I, I tried a very brief stint in, in sales a couple of years ago, but um, yeah, you know, and again, look, I, I think you make those friendships and, you know, we have such an incredible team and I know everyone says that and sometimes it can go in one ear and out the other, but our people are amazing. Mm. Like I'm working with some of the most talented and driven people I've ever met in my life. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't, I think when, when you're up against that, it's very hard not to have a smile on your face. Yeah. Uh, what's your own background and how did you get involved uh, or you get uh, with taxback.com? Yeah, so I'm actually a Waterford lady, believe it or not. Not too much fun at uh, All-Ireland season, <laughs> working in Kilkenny. But, um, yeah, so I would have gone to WIT, and I was actually working, funny enough, in radio. So I was working for WLOR, which is Waterford's local radio station for a couple of years. And kind of went across a number of different um, departments there, doing marketing. I actually had a show at one stage, and um, I was part of their street team. And it was a really random... Look, the role came up. And it was it was shown to me by a friend of a friend who said, listen, this role is for you. And at the time, I, I hadn't finished college that long, I think maybe three months. And I said, ah, look, you know, I've only kind of started a full-time sales role with WLOR and it's only been three months, you know, I might leave it and see how it plays out. And you know when you have something at the back of your mind and you can't shake it and you've got the nerves, you've got the butterflies and you're like, oh... I've got that gut feeling that I should just kind of go for this and you know that was two and a half years ago and you know being completely honest I've never looked back Right so uh, it's it's onwards it must be a great feather in your cap if you like that uh, you know that uh, great place to work a great place uh, to work uh, best place for women to work and yeah. uh, it's a uh, start of six years in a row now that uh, those standards are being maintained and as you say the standards is getting higher every year exactly yeah look as I said employees are looking for so much more and 
you know, the, the accreditation process is so extensive. And I imagine that some people, you know, might see, like Tesco, for example, is a great place to work. So people might see the stickers in their local Tesco and say, oh, sure, that's only a fluffy award. Or, you know what I mean? We're all great. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is that, like, it is so, so extensive. And, you know, the feedback we get is fantastic. And it truly is the reason that we can, you know, make the improvements that we do year on, um, you know, year on year. But... It's, it's something that we're incredibly proud of. And, and just to touch on the best workplaces for women as well, you know, that's not, um, that's not a numbered list. It's not a ranked list. But again, you know, that accreditation was only set up two years ago. And it recognises companies that, you know, provide a great experience for all of their employees, but particularly for women. And, you know, as a group that has, I think, seven out of eight companies uh, solely led by, C- by female CEOs, um, see, we just call them CEOs, so I, I sometimes forget to add the female in, which I think is important. Um, you know, we've got, I think, a 61% female to male ratio, and, you know, that's something, again, that we're incredibly proud of. I think we like to challenge the norms, and, you know, it's something that we've always done. So, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly something we're incredibly proud of. Yeah, and I suppose it's uh, it's fair to say that uh, taxback.com, they, they work internationally, but they think locally. Yeah, definitely, yeah, 100%. And that's a very important point. You know, I think across the group of companies, um, you know, even in terms of corporate social responsibility, for example, you know, while we have 1,500 staff globally, we still do huge amounts in Kilkenny. You know, last year we sponsored the Lady Desert Choir, who, if you've never heard them perform, go check out their Facebook. Um, they've done some amazing virtual performances as well over the last year. Um, but the likes of, like, the Kilkenny hockey team, Chalk Tom, and, you know, then further afield, obviously, you know, we, we operate in that way in all of our locations. So I think that's really important, and I think that's probably where some multinational companies are missing out, where they kind of forget their roots but I think you know Terry Clune the founder and CEO himself is fantastic and you know he's probably the most passionate person I've ever met in my life and you know I think he would never ever forget where his roots are so you know to see him kind of drive that local sense across the group is incredible. There you go. We leave it there uh, with uh, Pat, uh, Pat Tracy there chatting to Rachel O'Shea, a very enthusiastic and energetic sounding um, woman indeed and testament to why the Taxback uh, Group uh, have won that uh, employee recognition award that they did. That's all we've time for on today's show. Thanks a million to Pat indeed for doing that, having that chat. Thanks to Declan Gibbons also for running the sound desk for me and Anne Nolan for helping me produce as usual on the show. And just before I go, I'd like to just send out my own personal best wishes to Anne and all of the uh, secondary school fifth years who are going back to real school next Monday morning anyway do enjoy it and make the best of that opportunity I'm sure you'd be glad to be back and I will be back with you next Tuesday afternoon with another Kilkenny Today so do stay with us here on uh, Community Radio Kilkenny City for the evening show starting with the Angeles Community Diary uh, Talk Sport and then Kilkenny Communities in Action and on into the evening look forward to being back with you on Tuesday take care have a lovely weekend all the best We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.